Santiago is a city of 6.3 million people. So we're going to put that into perspective a little bit this morning. If you take the population of the Twin Cities and the population of Los Angeles and you add them together, you are roughly at the same population as Santiago, Chile. And of that 6.3 million people, less than 2% are evangelical Christians with a relationship with God. And that, to me, is a staggering statistic. Now, if you are talking to the population of Santiago, 60% of them would tell you that they are Catholic. Now, this is generally a culturally Catholic. It is Latin America, and that is very normal. But only about 3% of them actually attend Mass. But if you're talking to university students, 60% of them would tell you that they are non-religiously affiliated. Because they are becoming more and more apathetic to a religion that they don't see making any difference in their everyday life. And why do we deal with something and work with something that doesn't make a difference? Why well, have to go through the motions if you don't see any results? I will have the opportunity of working with a university ministry in Santiago. It's called Conexion. And it is similar yet different to a Chi Alpha here, which is our university ministry on secular campuses throughout the United States. Now, the university ministry there has to look different because the universities look different. Um, here, we're used to one main large campus. There, they have multiple campuses spread throughout the city that are smaller based on department. And so, on one side of the city, you might have your education department. And on another side of the city, you're going to have your medical department, medical sciences and that kind of stuff. And another part of the city, you might have your engineering department. And they could be an hour away by public transportation. And so that makes you do ministry very differently than if your students are all congregated on one main campus. So the way the ministry looks is they actually have student-led small groups on some of these different campuses that are spread throughout the city. And one of the things that I will actually be able to go in and do is work with the leaders of these student-led small groups and in discipling them and raising them up as leaders, we are not only teaching them the correct biblical and theological training that they are needing to work then in making disciples of their small groups who hopefully then go out and make disciples of others, but we are raising up godly leaders who are getting ready to go into the business world and the medical world. Tomorrow's business people lawyers, judges, and doctors. Not only as lead leaders in their community, but as Christian leaders in their community of a lost city. Now, we are going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles. But before we get to that, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. 
Um, I, first of all, background story here. I was a very small child when I was little. Um, I was born at just under three and a half pounds. And I did not catch up to my peers until midway through elementary school. So when I tell you in this story that I was three years old, I was roughly the size of a one and a half year old. I was, I was a tiny child. So at three years old, I was at home with my two older brothers and the babysitter. And the babysitter looked at my brothers, who were seven and ten at the time, and said, um, where's Julie? And they went, mm-hmm. And they started looking. And as they started looking, panic started to set in because they could not find me. My dad is a pastor, and the babysitter ended up calling him and saying, you need to come home. We can't find your daughter. So my mom and dad came home, and they started scouring the neighborhood, knocking on doors. They were getting ready to call the police for a missing child when my dad walked into my brother's bedroom And because he is over six feet tall and has a different vantage point than anyone else that was in the house at the time, he saw me sleeping on my brother's top bunk bed. It was against the wall, it was under the blanket, on my stomach, pretty much flat. And it was at that point that he woke me up And all was fine because I was safe, right? Now, I wasn't necessarily doing anything I wasn't supposed to be doing because what parent of a three-year-old when they're tired doesn't want them to actually go take a nap? And being in my brother's bedroom and on their beds wasn't necessarily something that I wasn't supposed to be doing either. just was not normal for me to go in and take a nap on their bed. But that brings us to our parable this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my last coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now a coin, an inanimate object, can't decide to just get lost one day. It can't just say, oh, I'm going to roll on my side and roll off the table and into a corner so the lady can't find me. That's not possible. It's a coin. It's an inanimate object. It's simply lost. Similar to a sleeping three-year-old who has no idea that people are looking for her and that she's lost. But how many people in our communities are similar to that, where they are spiritually sleeping and they have absolutely no idea? See, we're used to seeing the other two parables in this chapter. And we understand them. The parable of the lost sheep that Jesus talks about. There's a sheep that wanders, and the shepherd goes and finds it and brings it back. 
similar to the way Jesus goes and finds somebody and brings them back. Or the parable of the lost son, who purposefully leaves and then in his wanderings decides that it's better to be at home and comes back of his own volition. Similar to many people that we may see in the church today that have at one point left and come back. But what about the ones that were never there in the first place? The coins that can't decide to get lost. They just are. The ones in the community that are spiritually sleeping and have no idea whatsoever that they're lost. What about them? Are we diligently searching for them? Now God is calling me to a city on the other side of the world that has 6.3 million people in it who have no idea that they're lost. 60% of them were probably baptized as babies. And over 90% of them don't even think about it anymore. It's not a big deal. Or the 60% of the university students just don't care. But we do. And God does. And he's going, will you let me, as a father with a different perspective, come in and help you find them? Are you diligently and desperately searching for them? And are you living your life in such a way that when you find them and you go, hey, there's a God that loves you, that they know exactly what you're talking about because they see it in you every day. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and maybe some of your family. How many of the ones in your, what I call your sphere of influence, the people I just named, are lost and don't know it? And what are you doing about it? Now, when I feel like God is telling me to go talk to somebody, sometimes I kind of freak out and I'm thinking, I don't know what to say. Or really, they're a complete stranger. But when God says go talk to that person, he's not asking you to go talk to that person in your strength. He's asking you to go talk to that person in his strength. But do we live our lives that way in the conversations that we have? This was never made more real to me than when I was on a missions trip to Peru. I was there in college, and as part of a team, we were there for language learning, for culture, and it was part of my education as a missions major. And so I'm there, team of 10 people, and we are getting ready to do a youth service the following night at the church. And our team leader looks at us and says, okay, so who's preaching tomorrow? 
And we all look around and we're going, um, kind of start avoiding eyes, you know. And all of a sudden I feel God going, you are. And I'm going, no, 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 I am not. And he's going, you are. And we're all still looking around. It's this awkward silence. And all of a sudden I go, well, I guess I am. And our team leader looks at me and goes, well, don't sound so enthusiastic about it. And I'm going, no, 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 you don't understand. When I get nervous, my voice shoots two octaves higher than it already is. It gets a lot shakier than it already is. And my friend looked at me and she goes, your face is turning red just thinking about it. And it's tomorrow. And I'm going, yeah, see? But I never got away from that God voice inside going, you are. So the following day, we're getting ready to do ministry, and we actually teamed up with some of the people in the youth group from that church to do door-to-door ministry and our street ministry that week. And so we were preparing all of our skits and getting to know them that day before the youth service and I looked at our team leader and I said I need some time to prepare today he looks at me and he says you have 45 minutes you can use that classroom over there that's all you're going to get make good use of your time and I went okay great so I walk in the room and I lay open my bible I've got my notebook and my notes and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden as if he's sitting next to me having a conversation with me I hear God go Julie why can you do plays get up in front of people and you're completely fine and I'm going yeah but those aren't my words and so he's going so why can't you preach and I'm going oh because those aren't supposed to be my words either They're supposed to be his words. And it's not that the nerves weren't there, because they definitely were, but they didn't show nearly as much as they ever had in the past. And it's because of that day that I'm able to get up in front of you today. Because anytime I get up here and they're my words, you start hearing it in my voice it starts to get really shaky and really high. The nerves definitely show. But when they're his words, I don't have to rely on me. And I'm up here presenting you with something that isn't of me, it's of him. Which is very similar to what should happen when God goes, I want you to go talk to that person. Because at that point, they shouldn't be your words. They should be his words. And therefore, the nerves should be gone because it's not reliant on you knowing what to say. It is simply reliant on you not getting in the Holy Spirit's way. So with that in mind, what are we doing 
about a world that has no idea that they're lost. Because it's not about us and who we know that we can talk to. But if we are actually going, God, use me today in our everyday lives, in our conversations, all of a sudden, doors will start opening that we may never have seen before. And the Holy Spirit's going, will you walk through that door? Will you share what I'm asking you to share with that person? The person that you didn't think liked you at work all of a sudden has a problem and maybe all you need to do is look at them and go, can I pray with you? It's going to open a door. Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your everyday life? Because he'll work and he'll move. Because it's not just a city of 6.3 million people across the world that needs Jesus. It's Spring Valley. It's your neighbors and your co-workers, some of your friends and your family. And if you don't know anybody that's not saved, you need to get to know people who aren't saved. Maybe go meet your neighbor. Get outside of maybe what you would call a comfort zone. Because until we are desperately seeking the lost, they're not going to get found. Now, I see a lot of kids in here today. Where are all our kids? Just raise your hands. Raise them nice and high. Okay. Do we have anybody in here that's 12? Put your hands down if you're not 12. Who's 12? Anybody? You're 12? 13. It was at 12 years old in a youth service that God called me to South America. You are never too young to hear the voice of God. I was sitting there on the floor at an altar and I heard someday you will go to South America and I went, then why am I taking German? I got the response of, you'll find out someday. I don't know, okay. And it was then that that journey started. And a 12-year-old little girl walked up to her parents and said, I'm going to be a missionary in South America. Tell me how many of you that wouldn't scare. My dad is the district missions director. He is the one that deals with a lot of the missionaries through the state. He works with Springfield, who appoints us, sends us out, our national office. And we were talking with somebody not that long ago. And he looked at my dad and he said, how are you okay with sending your daughter halfway around the world to a city of 6.3 million people? And my dad looked at him and he said, 
If I wasn't okay sending my daughter, I couldn't send someone else's. And that struck a chord with me that day. Because I went, that's true. I know a girl from my home church who's in Oman right now. Where it's illegal to share her faith, but she's there as a missionary associate. It's much, much more dangerous for her than it ever will be for me. But that's where she's called, not where I'm called. Because people all over the world are dying, and they're going to hell, and they have no idea. So I'm going to ask you, parents... If your kid walks up to you at some point in their life and says, I want to go, and you name the place, whether that's China or Turkey or Chile, how will you respond? Because God's calling people of all ages. I know people who just retired who are heading overseas. She was a nurse, and she says, well, I'm not done being a nurse, apparently. I'm going to Nepal. Or middle-aged people who are quitting their jobs, taking their families and their kids are literally looking at them and going, you are not waiting till we graduate from high school. We're going with you. And they are headed out. to Africa quitting a six figure job to go as a missionary associate God's calling people of all ages all backgrounds could he be calling you because you don't have to have a bible degree most missionary associates actually don't They work in construction, or the medical field, or they're teachers, amongst many, many, many other things. But there is a world that is lost and dying and going to hell, and they have no idea. Is he calling you? Matthew 28, 19 says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And where I'm called to Chile, you're probably called to right where you are. To the current sphere of influence that you have amongst your neighbors and your coworkers, your friends and your family. How many of them know they're lost if they are? How many of them do we need to reach that just plain don't care? Because that's a very millennial thing right now. It was interesting because as I was talking to our regional people and going, all right, so I want to do university ministry and I want to go to South America. This is two things. I said, send me where you want me. And they looked at me and they said, all right, how about Santiago, Chile? They started giving me the information. 
And I went, yes. But it was one of those things where it was like, all right, so I'm willing to go. God, put me where you want me. And if we ask that question, a lot of us are going to get the answer of, I want you exactly where you are. Because your pastor cannot reach your coworkers like you can. They don't live in the same neighborhood that you do. And as Christians, it's not up to the ones where it's their vocation to minister to people to reach a world that's lost and dying. Jesus didn't just call clergymen. He called you. Because we're Christians. And he didn't say certain people go and reach the nations. He just said go. But that going for you maybe looks very, very different from that going for me. That going for me looks very different than some of my friends headed to China. But it's still the command of go. So this morning, as I close, are you living your life in such a way that when your sphere of influence, the people you work with, your friends, your family, and your neighbors hear you talk about Jesus that they aren't surprised that they don't go wait you go to church that when they find out you're a Christian they go oh that's what makes them different because that's how it should be that if they don't already know your lifestyle shouldn't be a surprise when they find out we living our lives in a way that is led by the Holy Spirit. That when we're asked to go talk to somebody or do something, it's not in our strength that we do it, but in his strength. Because I may be surprisingly comfortable in another culture, but that doesn't mean that I'm okay going and just talking to somebody in Spanish. Because right now, my Spanish is not where it needs to be to just be able to do that without the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It will be. But it's not there right now. But do you live your life in a way that's spirit-led, that when God says, go talk to that person, that you not only go, okay, But as you're walking over there, you start praying and going, God, don't let me get in the way. Let me be a vessel that is used of you. And you're just speaking through me. Using my experiences and my past and my knowledge to speak through me in a way that only you can. Because he can see what's going on in that other person. He knows what their heart is, and it's his job to make changes in their heart, not yours. It's his job to convict them of what's going on in their life, not yours. 
And our prayer should just simply be, use me today. Don't let me get in the way. Let me be your vessel that you want to work through to reach a world that is lost and dying that you can see because of your perspective as the Father that is different than mine. Because he is at a different height advantage like my dad was to see the ones that are spiritually lost and ready to wake up. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning and we just ask that as we walk out these doors that we wouldn't leave the same. That what you spoke through me this morning would make us think, would make us get on our knees and pray a little bit harder, a little bit different. That mostly we would start seeing this world through your eyes. It's one that is spiritually sleeping, completely lost and without a clue. I pray that you would start to move on hearts this morning. That you would let us know that there is a world that you are calling us to and you are saying, go. And whether that is next door or around the world, I pray that you would move on hearts this morning. Because it's not about our comfort zones. It's about where you're asking us to go and the people you're asking us to reach. Because we are the plan to reach a dying world that you put in place. Help us not get in the way of that. Amen. Thank you, Julie. Um.